Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friends, I'm about to say something that you are not likely to hear from anyone else today. Everything is now back to normal. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Really? Yes, because, well, we haven't had a normal Mornings with Carmen for a week. Okay, true enough. And so today, everything is back to normal. Um, Thank you so very much for really, I, I mean, the overwhelming response of our listeners to our Faith Radio Fall Share. Uh, I actually have a number of people who did not get thanked because we went off the air at 6 o'clock yesterday um, evening. And so there were a number of people who chimed in after that. If you missed your opportunity, you know, let's just say it's always an ongoing invitation to participate in the ministry. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com um, and give online right there. Um, or you can always text the word give, actually. You can always text the word give to 877-933-2484. All right, here are some thank yous. Thank you, thank you, thank you to a new friend, new friend of the ministry in Laporte, Minnesota. Thank you for giving online. Thank you to a friend in Minnetonka for an online gift. Thank you to Cindy from Hoople, North Dakota. Um, giving at a hundred dollars a month. That's a, wow. a, that's a significant uh, giving level. Thank you so very much. Um, Cindy, really extraordinary friends giving online in Rosemount, Minnesota in Carver, Minnesota, um, friends who texted to give, uh, new donors given at that really very popular level, that $40 a month giving level. Thank you so very much for joining team 40 Elizabeth from white bear Lake. Um, also a new donor. So, wow, thanks for just cannonballing right in um, to the giving family there. Thank you so much. Jamie from St. Paul, Minnesota, also joining us at that Team 40 level. Thank you so much. Shane from Forest Lake, Minnesota, $2,400 annual gift, given $200 a month. Thank you so much, Shane. Um, really, uh, just these these are all folks who, you know, they didn't get to, to call uh, or text or go online during our fall share hours, but they said, you know what? It doesn't matter to me. It could be midnight. It could be two in the morning. It's still time to give. So thank you very much. Thank you for friends giving online in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. Thank you again for folks in Hammond, Wisconsin, giving online $500. These are these are really very like, incredibly significant gift amounts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, friends in North Augusta, South Carolina, well, good morning to you. Thank you for that online gift. Uh, Faye in Hanover, Minnesota, joining us at that Team 40 giving level overnight. Thank you so much. Uh, more friends in South in St. Paul Park, Minnesota. Paul, how many of these are there? How many pages of this are uh, there? You're almost right. to the end. Okay, okay. Um, I'm scrolling up a screen and I can't ever see what's on the top of it. All right, I think we have reached. Uh, I think we've reached the top of the list. Thank you so much, friends in Fort Wayne, Indiana, New giving givers. for the very yeah. first time, giving online. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're going to hear us say thank you a lot today. Um, you're definitely going to hear uh, Bill Arnold say thank you. You're going to hear Susie Larson say thank you. Neil Stavum is actually going to be here at the bottom of our second hour. Um, just 
just to just to share, you know, kind of where we are in life and ministry to assure you of the consistency you can count on right here. So thank you for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. Matt Hawkins is back. He's waiting right now uh, to join us. And so he and I are going to gather ourselves and return to the headline news of the day, bringing the mind of Christ to bear. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Matthew Hawkins. He's a public theologian. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Check out his podcast, Crossing Faiths. Matt, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be back. Congratulations on a successful share So great, right? So great. People are amazing. Listener-supported radio is so fun because during share, you like get to... You get to talk to and yeah. experience all of those just relationships all across the country and around the world. So much fun. Um, okay. Uh, Israel has signed, I'm going to describe them as peace deals, with the UAE yeah. and Bahrain. Um, they are yep. known as the Abraham Accords. Talk about um, why this why this matters. Why is this so significant? Yeah. So look, as as so I'm 42 years old, and as long as I've been politically aware— conflict in the Middle East has been a thing, right? Since the, since, since I was a kid in the eighties and my parents were listening to NPR, right? I'd have those memories of, uh, uh, conflict in the Middle East and attempts at Middle East peace, uh, dating back, uh, as long, as long as I've been alive. Um, this is, uh, now conflict in the Middle East continues. So let's not, let's not, uh, um, get ahead of ourselves, but, uh, this is a big deal. Um, you have a situation where um, Israel has signed, as you said, a peace accord with the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, uh, first like it in generations. And, you know, it stems from a lot of different complex international factors, um, but it's something that the Trump administration certainly took advantage of. And uh, when you have, when you say nations are normalizing relationships, it basically means that uh, their diplomats will talk to each other, which which is is uh, the first step in uh, making further progress um, in in a peaceful situation. And uh, Sheikh Abdullah, who is the Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation at the United Arab Emirates, he had a helpful um, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this week. And there's a key word in there, basically a very short sentence in there that says, "We want normal neighbors." Mm. And uh, I think that probably that sentence alone probably speaks volumes. And uh, you, now you do have a situation where I think um, the, kind of the backdrop, um, some analysts will tell you, look, so, some of what motivates the UAE and Israel and Bahrain to um, to do this is partly because of the U.S. withdrawal from influence in the region. Uh, and so when you have that kind of withdrawal, people recognize that uh, bad, bad actors like Iran are taking advantage of uh, the situation. And so you have uh, states kind of step up and uh, collaborate with one another in a way that uh, we had ha- maybe haven't weren't going to see necessarily. And uh, but they always know that uh, the U.S. has Israel's back, uh, even, even when uh, uh, administrations um, 
U.S. administrations may um, flounder a little bit or use rhetoric that sounds like we're less supportive of Israel. When it comes down to it, the U.S. Uh, is going to support the only democracy in the region. And so this is a big deal. What was striking to me also uh, was the neglect of quote-unquote mainstream media outlets in reporting this. Uh, I get the daily New York Times uh, email in the morning, and the next day, uh, you know, this report got a bullet point in the third section among seven other bullet points that mm-hmm. this that this went down. Um, and I think it's, it, it goes to show, uh, you know, just a further disconnect, um, number one, from the kind of news that Americans tend to want, um, but also, I mean, the kind of news that actually really is news. Um, this is a big deal. Um, we'll see where it goes. It's too early to tell um, what kind of progress it's really going to make. Um, but it's it's big news. It's good news. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, theories, theories about the Middle East, uh, spiking in violence and, and burning and, and, in, in the midst of, uh, in light of some of the Trump administration moves just has not borne out, um, in the, in the way that some may have predicted. So, uh, this is a win. So you and I both know many, many evangelical Christians who would point to the birth of Ishmael to Abraham by Hagar uh-huh. um, as really the the beginning of the enmity um, between uh-huh. the Jewish and Arab peoples that persist today. But that does not yeah. mean, I mean, just because we recognize the very historical roots, the very deep theological roots um, of these conflicts does not mean that we living in the day in which we live should not be people who seek to sow peace and people who seek to Correct. help other people reach a place of living um, at peace with their neighbors as, as much as it depends on us, right? I mean, that is, right. that is the Christian role. And I think that's America's role, not because we are a Christian nation, but because we recognize right. that when there is peace between people, there is also the possibility for prosperity. Um, people have the opportunity yeah. to flourish when there is peace. I mean, there is a reason that even when you know, let's say the Pax Romana, there's a reason that the peace of Rome made it possible for <laughs> Christianity to spread, right? I mean, so we're going right. to use whatever um, God provides in any generation, whether it be, you know, the 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 dominating, domineering influence of Rome um, to spread the gospel or opportunities to bring enough peace between two people at historical enmity that it creates a possibility, creates a possibility for a peace and a prosperity that also then leads to other conversations. Yeah, I agree. I mean, is that a fair, you know, if you were just going to ask Christians, why should we even care? It's halfway around the world. Well, part of it is the world is really small and halfway around the world doesn't stay halfway around the world. Um, But also, you know, we are people who um, are called to sow peace and be peacemakers. And this is an opportunity uh, to engage in those kinds of conversations. So, Matt, let's uh, take a very, very brief break. When we come back, let's pivot to a uh, conversation uh, much more captive to things here in the United States of America. The largest uh, group of Protestant Christians in the country, known as the Southern Baptists, are considering uh, changing their name. And that's a, that's a part of a cultural conversation that I think is significant for us to point to today. Matt Hawkins and I will be right back. I am a mountain 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LeBurge. I am joined by Matthew Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. Matt, you served uh, as an employee of the Southern Baptist Convention for a number of Mm -hmm. years as a part of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission in Washington, D.C. The SBC is... uh, I don't know if it's going to be an official name change or not, but um, the president, uh, the current president, J.D. Greer, who our listeners know because they listen to Summit Life here at noon every day, um, they uh, or J.D. has uh, announced this week the theme for the 2021 annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention is going to be We Are Great Commission Baptists. And he also, uh, you know, has said that um, his church in the Raleigh-Durham area is going to begin using the descriptor Great Commission Baptist instead of Southern Baptist. There's a lot there's a lot to this story, and it's actually a story that's been unfolding among uh, those in the Southern Baptist Convention for a decade. Yeah, and I would actually highlight more than a decade. Um, it has the most official start or most the most, um, uh, I don't know, high watermark, you might say, uh, about um, about eight years ago. Um, so, yeah, so President J.D. Greer announced this week, SBC President J.D. Greer announced this week that uh, the theme of the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention would be We Are Great Commission Baptists. So what does that mean and why has it made news? Uh, Very rarely does the theme of our annual meeting make national news like the Washington Post. But it's significant because, as as you've indicated, Southern Baptists for quite some time now have been discussing uh, and considering whether we ought to change our name. Uh, should we should we drop the word Southern from Southern Baptist? And uh, this is a discussion that goes back, frankly, back in at least until the seven, at least to the seventies, uh, pretty cyclically. And uh, some people, when they hear this for the first time, I, I even before this week, if a name change came up, I has a you have to understand this that Southern Baptists discuss changing their name, kind of like locusts appearing. It's about seven or eight years. Every seven or eight years, it's a discussion we we have. And um, that sounds like a bad well, thing. Well, and I, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I you know, you and I are going to have I, this lo- conversation amidst that, a bunch of people who aren't Southern and most of whom aren't yeah, Baptist. Yeah. And so I so, think that for those so of us who are history. Southern and are uh, Baptist and are even Southern Baptist, um, you know, I think that what it seems to me as if the effort is to acknowledge um, that we are in a day and a time when the Great Commission is really at the heart of the conversation of what it means to um, not just be a Baptist, but be a Christian. And there's a lot of people that don't even know what the Great Commission is anymore, let alone that it is the thing about which we are in the world. Like if you've ever wondered what you're in the world to do, it is the Great Commission. It is to accomplish the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything Christ has commanded, not just teaching, but teaching them to obey everything Christ has commanded and remembering it all times that uh, that Christ is with us, even to the end of the age. And so to be a Great Commission Christian um, is a really significant way of saying, I'm an evangelical Christian without using the term evangelical. Right. And actually, for me, I think that's helpful in the conversation today. The word Southern is a problem because it's geographically <laughs> and historically complex and um, right. and not really descriptive of of this convention of congregations that obviously is now not just confined to the southern portion of the United States. Right. 
Yeah. I, and I can tell you that um, anytime I was on, I was on Capitol Hill for eight years and anytime we were in offices that uh, representative offices for states that were outside the South and I had to introduce myself and, and, and our organization, I, there was always an anecdote. I always had to sit, stop and explain. I said, now, look, just because we have the word Southerner name, it's the least, it's the most national uh, convention of churches with the most regional name. Um, and so it was inaccurate because we're in all 50 states now. Um, but part of this, uh, the word Southern in this particular context, I have Southern friends who are concerned about the word Southern um, being labeled uh, racist, generally speaking, um, which I understand and, and share that concern. But in the context of the creation of the Southern Baptist Convention, you have to go back to the 1860s uh, in the Civil War when Americans were fighting over slavery, and the convention was formed out of an effort to basically affirm um, slaveholding uh, missionaries, and they were in defense of the practice of slavery, and that's a very incorrect, heretical, and sinful uh, position for Christians to take. And since then, uh, and also through throughout into the twenty in the mid mid twentieth century, Southern Baptists uh, had a history of also uh, opposing desegregation, uh, which was also a problem. And so, there's a significant amount of Southern Baptist history that was formed in in the spirit of protecting white supremacy, um, and that particular culture. And uh, so, part of considering dropping the name either formally or not formally, which is it's not formally going to happen yet, um, is an effort at, frankly, what I would describe as redeeming an institution. And uh, part of that means uh, the people who are currently part of the institution, uh, it's helpful to recognize where the institution and, and our predecessors have erred and try to reconcile that and uh, make our convention about what it's supposed to be about, which is, like you say, the Great Commission. And part of that means uh, dropping... Um, frankly, in biblical terms, um, and we're talking kingdom terms, uh, titles and labels um, that really don't bear much uh, resemblance or specificity to Scripture. Uh, I think we can lose some of those descriptions in the effort to, um, you know, drop you know drop barriers to entry into our churches. And so I think it's it's a good move eventually if we can uh, you know if we can uh, get uh, the convention to do that. Legally speaking, I think that would be a good day. Um, but uh, the news this week is that uh, we're going to make that emphasis our theme for next year's annual meeting. Um, and and that's, a, that's a big deal um, in Southern Baptist life. And, uh, I, uh, and again, this has been discussed for decades. I just retweeted a, a moment ago uh, a tweet thread from your former colleague, John Wilkie, uh, who's now working for the Southern Baptist Convention. And he has a long tweet thread highlighting lots of hist historic moments um, of this particular conversation, led by some of the most conservative leadership um, in the convention over the past several decades. Um, so it's a good conversation worth having uh, cyclically, as I described it, um, and also and also frequently. Um, and so I think it's a good it's good news for the convention that we're going to uh, our leadership is going to continue to um, uh, place an emphasis on describing ourselves as Great Commission Baptists. And we'll see where it goes from here. Um, but it's a pretty it's a pretty unique moment. Um, and uh, I'm all I'm all for it. All right, John Wilkie, if you're listening to us, yes, we're talking about you. God, I love that guy. <laughs> Don't you? Aren't there just like people in ministry yeah. who you are just so fond of and so grateful to God that you know? 
He's he's one of them. He, a, he taught me so much. It's a big win much. for an executive committee to pick him up. That was, that was a smart move. Just unbelievable. All right. Um, so there you go. If you don't know who John Wilkie is, you can find him on Twitter at John, J-O-N underscore Wilkie, W-I-L-K-E. You could also just find him really easily if you already follow Matthew Hawkins on Twitter at M.T. Hawk, because that's what he just uh, retweeted. He, and He my, just liked my tweet. So yeah, he, there you go. My <laughs> handle's in there, too, at Carmen LaBerge. So, um Matt, what are you um, what are you thinking about and following? We got like twenty seconds left. What are you thinking about and following this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I'm thinking about and following my theology books <laughs> for, for my you. PhD program. Bless you. Uh, right, read, so, read us the title of one of them. You got them sitting there? Are they in a stack? Oh, uh, uh, some of them are in stack. Some of them are in Kindle. I've got oh, yeah. um, I've got both both Niebuhr brothers. I got to be reading. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, Let's just I've pray got for Situation that. Ethics by a guy named Fletcher. Uh, C.S. Lewis is in the mix. Um, Just put C.S. Lewis on the top. Uh, everybody everybody listening yeah. right now is excited about that. So, hey, thank you, man. Up pro- next, we got Dan DeWitt, who is a C.S. Lewis, um, you know, aficionado. So there we go. We just we love you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of our ongoing conversation here on Mornings with Carmen. We really value it. Have a great weekend, Matt. Thanks, Carmen. You too. We'll be right back. So hearing... Um, Johnny Erickson Tata there, Paul, uh, just a moment ago, made me um, called to mind, brought to mind um, a young man. His name is Micah McClendon. Micah McClendon is a sophomore in high school. Uh, he plays football um, for a team in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. And just in a regular tackle uh, in the game on Friday night, he broke his neck and severed his spinal cord. And he is currently in the Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. And I am just mindful hearing hearing Johnny Erickson Tata, knowing her testimony, knowing her story, knowing the impact of her ministry. I just want to call everybody listening right now to pray for this kid. Let's be praying for Micah McClendon. Let's be praying for um, his parents. Let's be praying for his teammates. Let's be praying for the community. And let's be praying that there are people, um, Christians, like the Christians who who steadfastly intervened um, with Johnny Erickson Tata, did not allow her to fall into despair, um, but encouraged her uh, to the point that she finally received Christ and has become a champion of Christ in ways that have changed the world and changed the reality of, um, of, of people who are differently abled all over the world for generations. She is, she's changed the world. God used her spinal cord injury to change the world. And so let's be lifting up this kid today, Micah McClendon, um, others like him across the country and around the world. It's just um, sensitive to that today. We're also um, continuing to lift up today a little girl right here in the Twin Cities who is also in the hospital. One of our listeners yesterday um, alerted us to uh, the plight of her name. Her her name is Jerusalem, and um, her heart stopped and she stopped breathing. Uh, and they are going to uh, put a pacemaker in to see if they can resolve the issue. But she's 10 years old, and that's a lot to deal with when you're a little kid. And it's a lot to deal with for your family and your church. So let's be lifting one another up in prayer today. Let's be lifting up Jerusalem, uh, the little girl, as well as the city for which we pray the peace over and over and over again. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we're going to be right back. Dan DeWitt is going to join me for a conversation about the weekend Worldview Reader. Of all the billions of people on this planet, God chose you to parent your child. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Whether you have birth children, adopted children, grandchildren, or a niece or nephew, 
God has converged your life with theirs for a reason. In a day when kids have access to all kinds of entertainment, it's easy for parents to feel they can't compete. But kids really do want more than video games, Facebook, and movies. Teens are hardwired to belong. They crave belonging to you. God chose you to parent your child. Make sure your teen fully understands the extent of their sacred position in your heart. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. from Cedarville University, uh, I'm going to invite you to check out his website, theolatte.com. Uh, everything that we're going to talk about today, you can find on this week's Weekend Worldview Reader, posted at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be with you. Okay, it's great to have you. I am, um, let's see, should we just start at the top or should we start, if we start at the top, then I'm going to ask you the question, does Venus have gas? Yes, Venus has gas, and it also <laughs> belches, apparently. I was reading about this morning. So. All right, so let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the the possibility, the possibility that there is life on planets other than this one. Um, and then let's talk about, as Christians, how we think about that. Yeah, so news outlets, there was a study released on Monday, and of course it wasn't conducted in recent history. These kind of things represent, you know, a lot of time of research and um, there's still more studies to be done, but right now they could say that they've discovered a type of gas in the clouds, the atmosphere of Venus, that typically have a biosignature, that they're representative of some kind of life. And so I think the way you pronounce it is phosphine, um, and finding a large, larger amounts of this gas than they anticipated has led them to ask the question, is there some kind of life form um, not necessarily intelligent life, but is there some kind of life form that is creating it? So more studies are being done. I know that there's going to be a bit of a challenge now. Russia's wanting to beat us to the punch. In fact, the the head of one of their um, space exploration agencies claimed Venus for Russia and said if there is intelligent life there, they better learn to speak Russian. And so it'll be interesting to see how we kind of um, work through the coming days. But the question is, does one, is will they discover life? Will they discover intelligent life? And then the question that you raise, does that have any implication for the Christian worldview? So I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm okay with the idea that, um, you know, God, who is the creator of all things, um, may have created worlds where there is life and where there um, are probably not people the way we think about it, but um, but beings with whom he is in an unfallen relationship. Is that, I, you know, when you think about the realm of possibilities, yeah. I feel like C.S. Lewis, you know, roamed around in that subject matter area. Yeah, C.S. Lewis certainly was, you know, throughout his writing, his essays, his um, science fiction, of course, which was not just, you know, a fun thing for him to do, although he really enjoyed science fiction. But if you look at what he's doing in his science fiction and then cross-check it with his um, essays where he's asking questions and responding to people like Fred Hoyle, these atheistic scientists who are speculating, 
that if we find intelligent life, it will be the undoing of the Christian worldview. And C.S. Lewis had this kind of multi-faceted um, way of responding, whether in academic teaching, popular writing, um, essays, etc. And Lewis just asked some really good questions. You know, for example, to your point, if we do discover life on another planet, um, first of all, it may not be fallen. And so you read Lewis's sci-fi trilogy, and the very first planet they go to, they they you know encounter a species of intelligent life forms that are not fallen. And what we discover is that a question Lewis asked in an essay. Um, we could be the ones to be the tempter for them, you know, if we were to go there and and bring our sin with us. So that's, of course, a hypothetical question. There's no proof that there's intelligent life. But I think it is helpful for Christians to think through what if. And I think it, at first blush, I would say, I don't know that this radically impacts our view of the Bible. Um, I don't expect us to find intelligent life. I will say that to be totally clear. I think most people would feel that way. But if I had nothing but the Bible— I would say, you know, I think it's unlikely that we'll find intelligent life. The Bible seems clear that God created humans in his image. Could there be something out there? Perhaps. I don't expect it. If we do find it, I I think we might have to reflect on it, but I don't think it really undoes anything about what we believe about Jesus or the Bible. So what we're doing right now, Dan, would make some people very uncomfortable, but I, you know, I sort of recognize that if if we do not allow ourselves to imagine possibilities beyond our own, then we begin to, t- to think too highly of ourselves. Um, I think that's part of the humility of um, of a sanctified imagination. And so Dan and I are not, uh, you know, we're not trying to add to the Bible here. We're not trying to... Um, uh, we're, we're not trying to speculate beyond the scope of Scripture. We're trying to say, is there a possibility beyond that which we have allowed ourselves to think about. It's not that it is unknowable, but it may currently be unknown. Um, mm-hmm. And so when when you think about the application of, uh, like even just giving time to letting your imagination roam, talk with us about that. Talk with us about um, the, the saint, what I'm just going to describe as a sanctified imagination, like allowing, allowing ourselves as uh, creatures created in the image of a creator God to imagine possibilities beyond that which is seen. Yeah, well, one, I think that the Christian should have lead the way in terms of creativity, because our creative creativity is a reflection of a creative God who made us, who's an artist. You know, Paul even describes us as God's masterpiece, that God has Mm -hmm. done something so spectacular with um, creating us in his image, as he's doing something so spectacular in terms of our sanctification, remaking us into the image of his son, that we should reflect that. But to go back to C.S. Lewis, I think it's hard to find someone who models this better than him. So he's looking at these real-world challenges, um, real-world um, advances in science, and he says, you know, usually these things are overhyped. Both sides, Christian and non-Christian, are kind of go up in arms, and then you know, the novelty of the discovery will wear off and everybody will go back to normal. But Lewis, as a Christian leader, is wanting to think deeply about this. So he creates this sci-fi trilogy where, using his sanctified imagination, he's asking these deep questions. But if you read his essays, you'll see he asks them very specifically, and that ends up setting the plot for the sci-fi trilogy. So Lewis asks, are there animals anywhere else than on Earth? If the answer is yes, do they have souls? Um, Are they spiritual beings? Are they fallen? 
And if the answer to all those things are yes, when we discover this, Lewis says, does that, are they beyond um, redemption? And some people will hear that and think, well, that's just bizarre and that's crazy. But what Lewis is really trying to do is think through it for himself. And then as a Christian who has a responsibility to give an answer, to be prepared for the hypothetical. And often our imagination allows us to anticipate what that could look like. And it has direct application to the conversations of the day, because there certainly are people who are arguing in culture today that animals should have the same rights as human beings. Um, Actually, Mm -hmm. that fields of rice should have the same rights as human beings, that rivers should have the same rights as human beings. And so these are not um, these are not conversations that Christians um, aren't called to be engaged in. It's just that we haven't spent enough time thinking our way through um, the truth in order that we could apply the unchanging truths of Scripture to sort of the ever-changing conversations of our day. Dan DeWitt and I are going to be right back. We're going to pivot. We're going to have a conversation next about, you know, frankly, the decline in America of those who would acknowledge themselves as religious people or certainly religiously affiliated um, and the impact that is having on our culture. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University, you can find everything that we are talking about today in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader posted at theolatte.com. That is like God and coffee, theolatte.com. Um, Dan, let's talk about this um, piece that you that you highlight this week in the Weekend Worldview Reader. Um, and I'm going to just read a, a couple of sentences here. In a recent study in foreign affairs, um, the incredible scale and speed of the change in terms of America being populated by people who recognize themselves as religious to populated by people who do not recognize themselves as religious. So from 1981 to 2007, the United States ranked as one of the world's more religious countries with religious levels changing very little. However, if you fast forward, since then, the United States has shown the largest move away from religion of any country for which there is data. Um, now, in this in this piece that you sent me, which is at Wisdom of Crowds, um, I mean, that's where this piece is posted. Uh, it talks about the impact of rapid technological t- change, social fluidity, and the collapse of institutions all playing a role. Um, mm-hmm. what, do, what is your sort of over and under um, on this? You know, as you, as you survey the, land, the American landscape today, you're on a university campus. It is in Christian higher ed. We are all seeing those populations of students decline. Um, talk with us about this massive shift in the American cultural landscape. Well, yeah, it's undeniable that the secularization in America, like has been what has been experienced in Western Europe, is rapid, and um, in particular, the increase in nuns, the peop- those who don't um, officially identify with any religion or specific denomination. And as some studies have noted, um, just because they don't identify, or that they're actually explicitly making clear they're they're ceasing their identification with some religious expression, doesn't always mean they don't believe in God. However, that's not a huge victory, right? We can't high-five each other and say, well, at least they have some belief, because what's happening is they're shifting away from beliefs that have been known, and what the point of this article is, is to tap the brakes, if not 
full out pull the emergency brake and say, we need to be cautious because simply because we're leaving something we know that some of it's bad and there have been abuses, um, where exactly are we headed? Mm -hmm. And so I felt like this article is, is helpful in that way to get people to at least stop and ask, I know what I don't like, but as the article points out, we know what we're against. We don't know what we're for. We know what we hate. We don't know what we love. We know what is evil. We don't know what is good. And so I think this article is helpful. Um, what I hope happens is that people can get away from their bad religious experiences and maybe get far enough down the road to objectively look at Christianity again. You know, I think the observation that we know what we that we hate, but we don't know what we love. We know that it's not working, but we don't, you know, know the fix. We um, we know what is evil, but we don't know what is good. Those are some powerful observations about so many things happening mm -hmm. in the culture today. You know, we, we had an event on our campus last night with a few hundred students, and um, it was kind of a Q&A. Me and our, a couple of our philosophy professors do this event once a year. We call it Socrates in the Cornfields. And <laughs> one of the things, a little playoff of the event, Socrates in the City, um, but one of the things we were talking about last night with all these students, we were outside. It was an outside event. Everybody's socially distanced with masks on. So it was COVID friendly. Um, but one of the things we were talking about is how even Christian students at a conservative Christian school, because of the influences of the secular culture that's so ubiquitous, it's just kind of the air we breathe, that there could be really deep-seated doubts and questions. And there could be students who are saying, I don't know that I really want to identify with the Christian faith anymore because of you know all the reasons they might give. And we were just trying to caution them to say, you need to think about what the alternative is. And the alternative often will seem nicer and seem like it has more to offer. But if you really look at it, um, you'll find that I think at the end of the day, there are two plausible worldviews, either a God who exists, who's revealed himself in a way that we can know him, or a world with no meaning and no purpose that's described by the philosophy known as nihilism. And I think that we really have these two options before us. Christians mess up, make mistakes, can be jerks, all the every bad thing you want to say— Christians need to quickly say, amen, that's true. But we look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and he's perfect. And so we judge our religion, I would hope, based on the founder of our religion, Jesus, and what he's revealed about himself in Scripture. So you have me thinking now about the parable that Jesus tells um, about the empty house, right? You clean mm. out the house, but you don't mm. actually then fill it up with anything, and yeah. what shows up to take over. Yeah, nothing yeah. good. That's right. That's right. And and that's where, you know, I, I often sometimes will even um, assign atheistic authors for my students to read just for them to see, you know, these people who often have kind of the loudest, the biggest platform and the loudest microphone, and they are talking about all the bad things in religion. If you really look under the hood, like a Richard Dawkins or and Alex Rosenberg, who teaches philosophy at Duke, or Lawrence Krauss, who's a theoretical physicist, really look under the hood and you'll see they don't believe that moral values are true. They don't believe that you actually can make real decisions. They don't even believe that we're persons. They deny personhood. And I want to say, you know, that actually is what you're walking away from Jesus for. And so I, we ended last night, my kind of plea to our students was, to remind them of the occasion when the crowds are walking away from Jesus 
And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, will you too go away? And of course, the response was, where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. Dan, that's um, that's exactly right. I mean, where else would we go? To whom should we go? Um, mm-hmm. Jesus is it. And so I think that as Christians who know and understand that in a time when people are um, willing to burn it all down but have no idea how to build or what to build, um, it's a really important time for Christians to have uh, clarity about uh, not only who Jesus is, but why he is the way and the truth and the life today, not just 2,000 years ago, but why he's the way and the truth and the life today, um, because he is the only one um, with, yeah, with access to and with the words of eternal life. Absolutely. That's right. Dan DeWitt, thank you um, so very much. You guys can find Dan at Cedarville University. You can also um, check out everything, the links to everything that we talked about today and so much more on the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you're going to find at theolatte.com. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. We'll be right back. So what a week it has been. Uh, I want to thank you again for each and every person who stepped forward to participate in our fall share. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a friend in Golden Valley, Minnesota, who actually checked in this morning during the show with an online gift. Um, so, you know, here's the reality. This is an ongoing ministry. It ha- we have ongoing needs. We spend a few days in the spring and in the fall and a couple of days, uh, you know, towards the end of the year to simply uh, be intentional about inviting you in. But the reality is whatever day is a good day for you to give, whatever day you think to yourself, you know what, this is a ministry that I value. Um, I I get something when I come here and it's something that not only feeds my soul, but is worth passing along to others. Um, then that's the right day for you to give. So just because we have spent four days this week in what we call fall share and that wrapped up, Um, you know, at the end of business last night, that doesn't mean that today might not be the right day for you to give. So um, if you you hesitated all week and now you say, you know what, this is a ministry that I value and love and I want to participate in it. I want to, I want to help advance it so that more and more people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can text the word give to 877-933-2484 or you can always give securely online at myfaithradio.com. We got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. So we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.